From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning. Focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour as we move along in our 24th year on the air. And thanks to everyone who has helped us along the way, especially you, the listener, and uh, some of our great guests and uh, our underwriters, and of course, Bishops, Bishop Soto and uh, Bishop Wiegand, who founded this, and uh, just a, a, a wonderful experience for me, and I hope for you, the listeners. And speaking of wonderful guests, indeed, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, and we're glad to welcome in Father Eric Patrick. Uh, Father, good day. Good day. Are you, you uh, used to people calling you Father? Uh, getting there. <laughs> I'm actually responding to it now, so that's good. That's great. Uh, you were ordained what June, uh, June the third. Yes. Wow. So a couple of months, and um, you're not a rookie anymore. Uh, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, I'm you know, the baby priest for a while. The picture of you uh, in the Catholic Herald at your ordination, just with just just a giant smile on your face um yeah you look you look like a man at peace and content uh with this wonderful wonderful choice you have made to uh serve the lord and to serve us yeah it was a great day and um building up to that for seven years and finally being able to give myself to god as one of his servants Wow, so you were ordained at age 35, yep. which is, uh, eh, I, I suspect, a little bit older than, than most, uh, but not terribly unusual. Yeah, I think it's a little bit more normal nowadays, um, but obviously there was uh, some time there after graduating from college and spending some time working before finally answering God's call to follow him in the priesthood. Now you, you know you went to St. Thomas Aquinas, right? Yes. That's a that's <laughs> I would say a kind of a foot in the door to the priesthood. Uh, yeah, we there's a lot of um, men and women follow vocation after going to Thomas Aquinas College. Um, I think we have about fourteen percent of the graduates end up um, in religious life of some sort or another. That's in the what in the Ojai area? Yeah, Santa Paula specifically. Yeah. So, there. Yeah, what a beautiful area that is. Oh yes, very beautiful. How did how did you pick St. Thomas Aquinas? I mean, it seems like obviously this is something uh, that uh, the the religious rigor of that place is well known. Well, um, actually, I, I had not heard of it um, up until I went to go visit. Um, mm-hmm. uh, initially, I was homeschooled, and I was planning to follow my brother to go to Chico State. Uh-huh. And so um, when I graduated from homeschool, I started picking up some um, credits from the local community college with that plan. But pretty quickly got a sense of, like, I'm not a big fan of secular college. <laughs> <laughs> so that would have been um, Shasta College, I presume? Yeah, Shasta College, yep. Yeah. Um, at that time, I was discerning the vocation of the guy who was calling me to religious life for the priesthood. Um, but he had... I kept getting these doors shut, and 
and so it's like, well, Cut doesn't seem to want me to go in right now. Um, one of the common responses I got and received at that time was, well, maybe come talk to us again after you have a college degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but having experienced, got a taste of secular college at Shasta College, I wasn't too a fan of going on to Chico State to just pick up a random degree so I'd have something. And Chico, um, of course, would be the college in your area. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that was... My brother went there, and I just defaulted to us, like, okay, well, that's nice and easy to go. I can still work at the family shop and um, go to college um, the rest of the time. Um, But as I was discerning, and I visited with many old missionaries down in Mexico and uh, monastery, and the diocese at that time didn't jump on me. So um, at that time, I was introduced to Thomas Aquinas College um, by somebody in my youth group, and I had never heard of them before. And so coming fresh off of multiple encouragements to get a college college degree before going on to continue to serve my vocation, I decided, like, well, I just heard about this supposedly really great Catholic college. So I'll go down and visit, see what it's like, um, see if it's it's for me. Um, And so I scheduled the visits, and I came in and, I think I had like three days planned, um, and I sat through a couple of classes, and like in the first couple of hours, I was like, "I want to go here." Wow, wow! So <laughs> I you didn't even, I didn't even mean the whole time. I was like, "I want to go." <laughs> you you didn't pick it because of their football team. I uh, know, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is it is renowned for um, it's it's. Educational value, that's for sure. Yeah, and in a strong faith life. Um, I mean, we had what um, we had four or five masses every day. Uh-huh. Um, so it was like you don't have an excuse not to go to mass. I'm <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, and we had um, three chaplains um, who would do spiritual direction. It was like if you're trying to discern, it's like where God's calling you in your life, which hopefully at that stage we all are. Um, this is a great place to do it. Yeah, yeah. Who do you do you know who founded the college and and what his background was? So it was um, I don't remember the um, that information. <laughs> um, it was originally founded, I want to say, as a, as a, as a uh, program out of another college. Mm-hmm. Um, Ronald McCarthy was one of the major founders. There was a group of teachers that really desired to have that kind of Socratic method. Um, which was also um, holding on to the faith and not mm-hmm. the kind of common um, thing of Catholic college only in name. Um, and they, they started it as a, um, as a program within another college. And um, I think around the time that they were looking at the possibility of um, st- establishing it as a college, um, they were donated this cow pasture in Santa Paula and, um, and I think things just kind of fell one thing after another lined up. Mm-hmm. Um, and they started with basically some modular um, houses on on this cow pasture with some people driving in and, and just making a loop and driving right back out. <laughs> <laughs> the first couple of years, it's like, what, this is a college? Yeah, um, right. You had enough people stick, stick it out, and because 
they 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 weren't looking for um, all the material um, accoutrements, but they wanted really honestly desired that good solid um, um, upbringing in Socratic method and um, firm Catholic faith. So, what sort of a curriculum did it have? So um, it basically it's liberal arts. Um, everybody would take the same um, take the same degree, and uh, it, like I said, Socratic method. So um, one of the things that they, they say at uh, Thomas Cranes College is the um, teachers aren't actually the teachers are actually the great books. The authors are the great books, mm-hmm. and the um, the the faculty are tutors. Okay. So they're there to promote the discussion um, and guide the discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're being taught by these great authors. Right. Um, and so the curriculum covers all the liberal arts, um, for uh, emphasis on philosophy, theology, mathematics. Um, we also take two years of Latin, music theory, um, basically really well-founded um, liberal arts. And so you can then use that as a springboard to go on to whatever God is calling you to afterwards. Mm-hmm. It, it, what authors, author or authors, uh, impacted you most? I, I would put Thomas Quine's College at the top of the list there. Um, I... Uh, Augustine, um, a lot of the a lot of the theologians, more so. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can I I can think of like in um, mathematics, Euclid, um, but I think in in lasting impact and kind of guiding me in in following my vocation, um, Thomas Aquinas, Augustine, and Anselm a bit. Um, at the top of the list, like I said, I guess uh, Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas is hard hard to get past, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I love him so much because he, he not that he he was like Augustine, maybe working all of this stuff out um, for himself, but that he was taking everybody who came before and bringing it all together in a way that nobody um, had. I think to the extent that he had done so before, mm-hmm. and that he was able to put it all there, and, and what I believe is a fairly accessible, although to our approach nowadays it may seem it may take a little bit to be used to, but a fairly accessible format in which we can go through and, and invites us to to think through the process as he's guiding us through objections, his response and the responses to those objections. Wow. So let me take a wild guess and say you're probably the first priest to come from Whitmore. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, as far as I know. Yes. As far as you know. You may, be, you, know, you may be starting a trend. Tell us a little bit about growing up in Whitmore, which is what, east of Reading? Yeah, uh, northeast of Reading. It's um, small town. Um, the sign that points to Whitmore says we have a population of 2,000. Honestly, I don't believe that, but oh well. <laughs> it's, um, the area is um, 
a lot of ranch land around us. Um, my my family has 20 acres out there, and so we grew up um, not only being homeschooled, but also kind of living out in the country there, really far from a lot of the uh, daily city stuff that mm-hmm. um, we experience. And we had, uh, like I said, 20 acres. We'd have a orchard, a um, farm. We'd raise our own meat, so cows, pigs, chickens, and just kind of doing all that, being as self-reliant as we could, not entirely. My dad owned a canvas shop in Reading and um, would work there, but a lot of the time us kids would just spend a lot of time there um, when we weren't taking homeschool classes, um, caring for the animals, um, the orchard, and the farm. And so did it have its own high school and et cetera? Uh, so Whitmore had, um, when we were growing up, it closed down, uh, I think, middle school. So you were homeschooled, but but other kids would go to school, go to high school, say in Reading. Um, I think most kids in the area, if they went homeschooled, would go to school in Millville. Um, uh-huh. It's about um, I think fifteen uh, miles from Whitmore. Okay. Okay. Wow. So it's a it's a it's certainly a certainly a different experience growing up. How did homeschooling prepare you for for St. Thomas Aquinas? Well, I think St. Thomas Aquinas, a lot, and a fair number of the students um, that went there were also homeschooled. Mm-hmm. And one of the things with homeschool was at some point, my mom started letting us kind of pick subjects that we were interested in. And so that inquisitive um, spirit, desire to not to know, is really one of the major things that I think helps prepare um, those who would go to Thomas Aquinas College. Mm-hmm. That's what we're trying to do. Is like we're trying to dig into these great authors and understand them, um, and we need a certain level of self-motivation, I think, to do that well, um, to really engage with them and not just be trying to memorize facts, but actually be able to go through the argument, discuss it, evaluate it. Um, and that desire to, to learn, I think, is really one of the, I think, one of the most important things in, um, in being successful in, in at Thomas Aquinas College. So where would, you, where would you attend Mass when you were a kid? Anderson, okay. um, and then after my dad decided that we start going to all the day of mercy and writing so from about the, shortly after my confirmation until I went away to college and then after even coming back I always went to all the day of mercy and you'd, you'd sometimes drive into youth group etc yeah um, the, 
Yeah, when I was um, started doing that when I was taking my driver education, um, I needed nighttime driving, and so my mom uh-huh. would say, it's like, okay, well, we'll you can get to practice driving in uh, to youth group, and then I and then she would go shopping, and I would attend youth group. Um, so it was. It was something that worked. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. That's great. So, what was there something that fine? It sounds like I mean, I read you about you, uh, your, your beautiful story in the Catholic Herald, which I'd uh, recommend to everybody. Not just your story, but the whole uh, edition, the uh, July August edition, uh, wonderful edition. But um, you did a lot of reading. So that that kind of began with my. I mean, I mean, before I had the I had the habit of reading. We um, we one of the things we do over the summer is the local library in Reading would have like competitions, and that was really to get kids to read, and so they'd offer prizes. So every summer we I would read a, a lot of books just to compete with these these like cheap junk prizes, but something that gets the kid motivated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then in my early teens, um, when I started considering my faith, um, and and I would, I would describe that as kind of my um, conversion, although I was raised cradle Catholic, in my early teens, I came to kind of the conclusion that I needed, well, that there was a path, a fork in the road, either... I would, uh, my faith was just something that my parents were making me do, and mm-hmm. I continued, or this needed to mean more to me than just something that I, needed, I was required to do by my parents. I, I needed to make it my own. Um, and along with that selection came the question of, well, I've read a little bit about faith, and it's like there's thousands of different faiths, so why Catholicism? So I spent several years in my early teens really grappling with those questions and trying to come to an understand my faith and giving an honest, um, albeit maybe a little more limited, um, evaluation of other faiths with the ultimate end that um, obviously I believe that Catholicism is the faith. Um, no other faith can you trace its origin so far and yet have so many mistakes and, and still be here, uh, that could only be divine intervention, that God's keeping this church going. Um, and with that belief, I needed to be more active in my faith for it to actually mean something to me and not just be the Sunday obligation um, of I have to go to mass, and that's about it. Right. That it should right. be informing and impacting the whole of my life. Yeah, I, I, we have to get past looking at whether it's mass attendance or anything else as an obligation and turning it into an opportunity. Yeah. Um, it's It's... It's, I, I don't know, I, I, my wife and I have had this conversation many times. What would we do without our faith? You know, how would we, how would we face the day? How would we face life's problems? How would we, um, uh, how would we get along without God? Um, yeah. It's, it's, 
it's not something not something we like to ponder uh <laughs> but but we we ponder it because we feel very blessed that we do have that faith and faith is a yeah. gift and we feel so so blessed to uh to have that gift and even even times sometimes people outside of faith um kind of get that insight that we are blessed to have it mm-hmm. um I, I remember when I was doing um, clinical pastoral education in the hospital, um, a self-professed atheist asked, why are um, those with faith able to deal with suffering better? Right. And I forget exactly what I said, but it comes down to it's like, well, because A, this isn't the end, and B, for us Catholics, and many Christians, we are able to offer that up with Christ's suffering. Exactly. And it's not just us by ourselves doing this, but that we offer that up and God gives us the grace to be able to make that offering, um, uniting our suffering to Christ's suffering who died for us. Yeah, yeah, very well, very, very well put. So was there a was there a, a, a an aha moment a moment the, the the lightning strike that pushed you over and decided the priesthood was for you? Uh, well, I, I don't know about an immediate aha moment. Um, what pushed me into um, contacting the diocese um, was. Um, I, the parochial vicar at Our Lady of Mercy, Father Guillermo um, Ramirez, um, who's since had to return to Mexico, um, he had agreed to be my spiritual director, knowing that I was discerning the vocation. And after I met with him for a couple of months, one day um, the bishop would have these, um, I forget what they call them, but um, bishop um, would have meals with, uh, perspective right. concerns of education. Right. And so Father Memo told me, it's like, you should go to this. Um, and he didn't really give me an option. It's like, you can come with me as we go to this. <laughs> 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 and so we went. I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Um, and we had we had a meal with Bishop and a couple of the discerners. And Okay, I'm, I'm starting to open up to this idea. Like, um, but then after that, the next meeting I had with them is he and I was telling them, "It's like I don't, I don't think I'm worthy to be a priest." Um, his response was basically, "Well, how about you go um, apply to the diocese and see what they say?" So <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of the pick, the kick in the pants that um, got me moving, and I think it was really. Um, after I'd been in formation for a couple of years, because I still had my doubts. It's like, well, am I just going to find out that God isn't calling me to this? Maybe. Um, that's what I was thinking kind of when I came in, um, that that was still a possibility. But it would be like, well, that I didn't know. So <laughs> mm-hmm. that would be a good. But I think it was probably um, two years in when I was on pastoral year, and I'm, I've been really involved at Our Lady of Mercy. I would, I've been teaching children's faith formation. I was in Isaac Columbus. I was ushering at Mass. 
I was organizing the Pierce's library. I spent more time um, at the parish um, over the weekend than I did at home. Uh-huh. Um, but it was during pastoral year where I was really just living there for the time in the parish and following Father Dean around, Father Dean Marshall. He right. had just been ordained, and I was put in his parish. So I saw his basically first year as a priest. And so got to, in a removed way, experience that first year through him. And that's, that's when I was like, I really believe this is what God's calling me to. It's like this all feels so right. Um, it can be challenging sometimes when going to the seminary to remember it's like what the ministry is and to really get a full in-depth experience of the ministry just because you have so many classes to take. I think that's the real benefit of the pastoral year is that we really get to actualize a lot of the learning and just be there with the people, serving the people, serving the parish. And I think that was the moment that kind of solidified this, like, this work has called me to. Wow. So you, you've got a college degree now. And now you're going to start seminary. How how exp, explain the process from from because that's not always the way. Uh, many people don't have that college degree to start. Yeah, but it, it depends. Um, like Alexander and Marcos, um, he came in basically straight out of high school. Um, right. I think when he was applying, he was still a minor, and so his parents had to sign off on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like. So he went through and he got his college um, degree in philosophy before moving on to theology now. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, um, I mean, it all starts with applying to the diocese. They're not just going to immediately sign you up, but there's a mutual discernment process as right. you're doing that application that a, you're ready and mature enough to begin this process. And that doesn't mean there won't be a lot of growth. I mean, there will be a ton of growth over your, um, your formation period. Um, but that you're ready to embark on that. And and that's a decision both on your part and on the diocese part. Um, and so those evaluations, and um, they get to know you um, and see what if there's any special needs that you have um, as you're going in, anything particularly to focus on. Um, and the seminary also does an evaluation, um, less expensive than the diocese um, because they're basing some of that off of what the diocese has already done. But they do their due diligence as well. Um, and then as uh, you're accepted, you come in and you have orientation. I mean, at that point, it's a lot like um, going to a college. Um, you have the pre- preparation for the academics, but you also have the preparation for the spiritual. Um, the human, the pastoral development, which are all, diff- all the different um, dimensions involved in um, seminary information. So, so yeah, it's, um, it's like applying to college, but much more um, comprehensive, um, addressing every aspect of our formation. So, so out of you, you went first where to Mount Angel? No, I went straight to St. Patrick's. 
Oh, straight to St. Patrick because you had the college yeah. degree. Yeah. So if if you have for those who don't have a college degree right now, we will they send uh, those who need a college degree to Mount Angel. Uh-huh. Um, the rest of us, it depends on you'd have to ask Bishop Soto for his decision on that. But they either send us to Mount Angel or St. Patrick's. Uh-huh. Um, I think just this discerning is like which place would be better for each individual person, exactly. um, as well as keeping the presence in both. Um, so, but if you go, if you have a college degree, you can go to either Mount Angel or St. Patrick's, mm-hmm. and you do um, pre-theology. That's philosophy. Um, that helps give you a good uh, foundation to begin with before um, going into theology. And and how long a process is that? So often the um, the philosophy will be two years. Um, I had some quite a bit of philosophy from Thomas Aquinas College, so I ended up doing a year of pre-theology and philosophy. Um, but for most people, you'll have two years of philosophy. Um, now, with the new PP, program for priestly formation, there will first be a transition period, a propedutic year. Right. Um, and that's just um, starting to get established. I didn't go through it, so um, I can't speak to as much about it, but basically it's a year where you that you have the opportunity now to step away from all the worldly um, concerns that we've been engaged in and to focus on kind of living what will be your seminary information um, throughout the remaining years that you spend in seminary, focusing on the different dimensions uh-huh. and getting adjusted to that kind of um, that kind of approach as well as working on praying more, so building up your prayer life. Um, uh, they, they have opportunity to do pastoral ministry. Um, they take some classes, but they're very limited, much more limited than you, um, they do once they get into theology and philosophy. Um, and they really, really, really build community. Um, the first uh, set of propedeutic uh, men that came out at St. Patrick's were really, um, really close at the end of that time. They've basically been together as a community for that whole year period, and have built some pretty strong bonds. Mm-hmm. And then following that, um, the two years of philosophy, if they've already, um, if they already have a college degree. If not, and now angel, they would then do four years of philosophy, followed by um, two years of theology with a pastoral uh, period of uh, pastoral ministry um, before going on to another two years of theology. Wow, that's that's uh, quite a stretch, isn't it? Yes, but it's it's enjoyable. I mean, in, yeah. in a, you're you're learning, you're progressing. Yeah, you're, you're learning, you're, you're getting thrown. You have summers, you have different um, opportunities depending upon the diocese. Um, and it's, uh, you have lots of pastoral um, ministry on over the summers or um, like Spanish immersion, um, clinical pastoral education, do an internship as a chaplain in a hospital. Mm-hmm. There's lots of um, 
different ways in this year, given the opportunity and challenge to grow. So every summer you're not in class, but you're you're out in the field, if you would. Yeah, for the most for the most part, you will be um, at different ministries over the summers. Um, at the um, seminary formation at the seminary is usually pretty close to a typical semester at a uh, college, right. with the addition of the spiritual, human, and pastoral aspects. Um, but then. Over the summer, um, you have different um, pastoral opportunities depending upon you and what the diocese discerns will be good for you. So you mentioned Spanish immersion. Did you learn Spanish as part of this? More or less. <laughs> That's always my response. Más o menos. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I went down to Mexico, um, I think my first summer, mm-hmm. um, for 10 weeks. Me, Father Eric Pereira, Father Ryan Mahar were down there, um, and we take we took classes. Uh, we were in Mexico City. Uh, we took classes for seven weeks, and then three weeks we were in a parish. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really the challenging part was just being in the parish where you were the only person you could only really speak Spanish. Nobody else right. spoke English. Right. Right. Did it was ten weeks enough time to become semi fluent? I don't know if I'd say semi fluent. Um, for me and Father Eric, it was actually a little bit shorter because usually we would do it after um, or just before pastoral year, and that's mm-hmm. what Father Brian was doing. So they didn't want to see it, send one down just by himself. So me and Father Eric went um, a little bit earlier. It was enough to get us talking in, in, in general things, but I say far from fluent. Um, it, was, it, it was a really good beginning, um, but I needed to be active in practicing my Spanish with the sisters at the seminary mm-hmm. and in the different parishes that I was assigned as I could. So, and the whole time discernment goes on, right? Basically, up until Bishop lays his hands on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that—that's something uh, the church really, really emphasizes. I mean, they don't want to lose you, yeah. but by the same token, they don't—they don't want a, a reluctant priest, if you will. They don't want, yeah, you, they don't want you to escape through and just assume because you got in the seminary that yes, you're called. Right. Um, you will need to be discerning. It's like, where's God calling me now? Right. Um, always being open to. Where God's leading us in the moment, and so as your ordination approached, what were your feelings? A little bit of trepidation, a little, a bit of excitement. Um, people kept asking me, "Is like, are you worried? Are you excited?" Um, and just as with as busy as I was. While I was praying about it, it was like I, I felt peace with it, and I think that was the grace of God that mm-hmm. I'm I'm just like feeling like yeah I'm I'm good with this this is this is this feels right I feel at peace with this decision and um, I feel that I'm doing what God wants me to. That's great. That's great. Um, 
not the not the excitement or the fear that um, people might have been hoping for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was your family fully supportive all throughout the whole process? Um, I, I had mixed response from my father. Um, he died last year, um, but when I first talked to him about a vacation, he, he told me, he was like, well, that's throwing your life away. Uh-huh. Um, and so, I, and after I entered the seminary, he, usually when I went home, he would ask me, he's like, you still happy? Uh-huh. And I don't know if, I, I mean, I felt that he was supporting me now, but at the same time, I felt like sometimes he was, he was trying to offer me, it's like, it's okay if you want to say no. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. Um, so I always had that kind of conflict was it's like, just, are you really fully supporting me or, um, in, in this vacation or, or not? The rest of my family, uh, I, I felt supported by um, my mom especially and my siblings. I was supportive of me and that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it makes it a little more difficult, doesn't it? Yeah. Unfortunately, I can never really um, determine. It's like, are you really supporting me now, or or not? Um, but I think in the end that he did, and he he just wanted he just wanted me to um, have the best and be saying yes because I wanted to, and not right. because I felt pressure. Right, right. So the, the day of your ordination, um, <laughs> that. Uh, I, I can't even imagine how glorious that must be. Well, it's a, a lot of big door. <laughs> <laughs> All the priests I talked to said, like, yeah, you're probably not going to remember a lot about it. Um, just because it's like just a big, joyful door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So much going on. Um, yeah, sure. One of, one of the things, and there's a lot of things I remember. One of the things that stands out to me is, is just as I'm, as I'm up there and Bishop is putting his hands on me, he um, he makes he makes sure to put some pressure down, um, make us make us feel for sure that it's like yes, his hands are really laid on us. <laughs> <laughs> and then, when do you find out? You know. Your first assignment. Well, um, I, it, it varies exactly when, but I found out um, the Wednesday before my ordination. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just a couple of days. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you're 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 human. Obviously, you know, I've always thought I, I have. I've I've mused. Uh, you know, what if what if I were a priest in this diocese? Where would where would I want to be? What would I want to be doing? And I've, uh, I don't know why, but uh, uh, towns like Corning and Willows, uh, they come to mind because they're, they're, they, they seem like they're, uh, they're kind of like out of Mayberry or something, you know, and, and, yeah. and uh, that they, there would be a, a, I grew up in a small town, there'd be maybe a comfort level in a small town and, and maybe it wouldn't be too much to handle and, and too busy, and uh, um, and maybe I'm completely wrong. You know, um, I even think Alturas would would be a wonderful place to be. You know, yeah. And 
and yet um, so much of the diocese is rural and so much of the diocese is very urban. Yeah. Um, did you did you have kind of hopes, or did you did you think about it very much? I, I definitely thought about it. Um, I I knew for sure it was like they're not going to send me into the one of the small towns. Mm. And, um, I have I have to I have to be assigned somewhere where we need two priests, right? Right. Um, so right. That could probably uh, more um, more in the city than out. Sure. Um, long term, I, I do hope to be in some of those smaller towns. So like, I grew up out in a really small town. Right, right. So it was like I, I really enjoy that that kind of environment. But I knew I would be in. I, I figured, as I, I told people, it's like I knew we're probably going to be in the um, Upper Bay Area, Vallejo, mm-hmm. um, or Sacramento area, um, just because I knew. That was the expectation. I never, I, I honestly never expected to be sent to St. Charles Borromeo mm-hmm. because this is where I um, served uh, my pastoral years. Oh, okay. And so I was like, I, I even told people here at the parish um, when I visited, it's like, and they asked, are you going to come here? And I told them, it's like, almost, almost certainly no. <laughs> almost certainly no. Interesting. As <laughs> like, of the two places that I figured it's like I never go is my home parish and my pastoral year parish. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, well, that's where I was before I was a priest. And I've never seen, um, in, in the limited number of priests I can point to, I've never seen any of them put in their first assignment back right. in the parish that they had um, previously spent a fair amount of time in. Mm-hmm. So it was a, a good a surprise when I, I find out St. Charles. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, I'm all, <laughs> it already feels like a second home. <laughs> well, oh, that's 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 got to have been a great feeling. Yeah. So, you've been a priest about two years now, uh, two <laughs> two months now, <laughs> two months now. I'm sorry, uh, uh, maybe, maybe it feels like two years, uh, but you've been a priest two months now, almost. And how is it? Is it exactly what you imagined? Is it different? And if so, how? Uh, it's it's a lot like what I imagined. Um, what I imagined, I didn't I didn't put into specifics um, details. It's like there's some some things that surprised me a little bit, um, but a lot of it's something like I expected. I knew I knew as a priest, and this day and age, it won't just be oh, you can go celebrate the sacraments, and that's it. It's like no, priests have so much more they have to do. Um, and the um, the, the uh, office work, um, the various meetings with people, it's all things I expect in a generic way. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the yeah, I'd say some of the um, the experience that people have just been able to meet almost immediately. Um, switch over and see me as a priest was something that I expected a little bit less. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> just immediately, it's like, now the relationship is so changed. And that was one of my concerns as I got sent back to a place that I'd been previously just as a seminarian. It's like, how easily will people be able to make that adjustment? Well, yes, this is now faster. <laughs> right. And he's 
came to minister to us um, spiritually, and that's, I think, been the one surprise that people I, I've known before have so easily been able to make that switch um, and really challenged me to um, live up to those expectations. So, wow. Any surprises at all? Uh, besides being sent to St. Charles Borromeo? Uh, <laughs> that was a, a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Um, no, I mean, I know there's, I expect a fairly steep learning curve transitioning from all the theoreticals of seminary uh, life to pastoral life. Um, but I think that the seminaries really uh, prepared me well for it, and um, I have a lot of support from the diocese, and I know uh, professors at the seminary who are happy to um, have a discussion um, when I need um, help um, knowing how to um, respond to something challenging. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I really feel that there's no like major shocking surprises so far. And generally, uh, the first assignment, it, do you know is it, 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 how long that lasts? Generally, I've seen it last three years. It says three years, but it leaves it open to the needs of the diocese. And mm-hmm. in our diocese, we need guys to be um, moving up, moving on um, right. from in the uh, as that parochial figures fairly quickly. So. Um, if I get three years here, I'd be thrilled. But I've seen so many, like I think every single one of the uh, new priests since I've been in formation usually spend two years in one parish and then another a year in another parish before having a little bit more responsibility. So it all depends on God and the bishop. That's right. That's right. So what what is it like to celebrate your first Mass? Uh, a lot of emotions going on. <laughs> yeah. um, fear, uh, joy. Um, yeah, fear, worry that I'll, I'll make some kind of mistake. Uh-huh. Um, I, I like I want this. I want that mass to be beautiful for the people, and um, also a little bit of fear that I was like um, embarrass myself. Um, but also, Joy is like, I, I am consecrating this. I am consecrating this. I know, this. yeah. And, and like, this is the closest I have ever been now. And it's like, this is Jesus in my hands. Yeah. Um, That's something you couldn't do before. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm over there off to the side around in the congregation looking on as it happens. And then suddenly now God is working through my hands. And. Yeah, that's, that's, that's I, I think all the fear and all the stuff at that moment just kind of, kind of disappeared, and it's like, I'm holding my, my, our Lord, my Lord here in my hands. Wow. I know uh, from, from reading uh, the article in Herald, you're very, very, very big, as you should be, on the real presence. Yeah. And, and the I'm power of the Lord. Eucharist. 
and especially this year as we felt as we um, had the Eucharistic revival, right. um, help us remember how important that is. That if, if this isn't true, if Jesus isn't in this Eucharist, then what are we doing? That's um, right. So that's what we believe that Jesus comes down to nourish us with His own body and blood. Uh, yeah. Well, it's 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 powerful powerful stuff, and uh, it's it's now in your hands, and uh, we are. I know I speak for a lot of people. We're we are thrilled, and we are so happy that you have made this this choice. And uh, uh, I certainly uh, join many in wishing you well and uh, telling you that uh, our prayers certainly go with you. Thank you, and I'm so honored uh, wow. that God's calling me to this vocation. Yeah, well, it's it's just a joy to talk with you. I uh, hope you won't be a stranger to this program, and uh, uh, we we'd love to uh, get updates as as you move yeah. along uh, as you move along your journey. Yes, thank you. Thanks so much, Father. Thank you. God bless. Yeah, God bless you too. Take care. That's uh, Father Eric Patrick, and what a what a what a wonderful uh, Gabe. Thanks for thanks for setting that up. Uh, what a what a wonderful human being he is, and what a, what a great choice he has made. It's nice to see how that uh, that story ended when we had him on as a seminarian and all that. Yeah, you, superb, know, so. you, you know, you, you, one, one day you're a seminarian, and the next day you're a priest, and uh, um, it was it was it was great talking to him along the path, and then it was uh, it's exciting to hear um, where he is now. He sounds more tired now. I bet he is. <laughs> I bet he is. <laughs> well, probably early, early on. Yeah, uh, get a lot, of, a lot, a lot of, of work. A lot of demands on you. Yeah. But, uh, I was going to remind everybody how they can uh, subscribe to the podcast. You yeah. go on all the podcast platforms you, you, you that you have available to you and look for Sacramento Bishops Hour. Um, if you can't find it on a, on a podcast um, platform for whatever reason, some Android ones are a little weird. Every once in a while, you they have different ones. You can always go to Podbean. Dot com. There's also a Podbean app, and uh, we're on the Podbean app as well. Uh, and then Apple Podcasts is uploaded when you have uh, Apple phone, so uh, an iPhone, so it, it, it is automatic. But go to Sacramento Bishop's Hour, and uh, we're on there. And then you can subscribe. It costs no money. There's no spam. There's no anything. It just tells you when you haven't we're listened to an episode. Tell you anything? We're not. Nope. I mean, if you want to buy something, I'm sure we could we can come up with something. I mean, but uh, but yeah, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna reach out and try to you know email you and get your uh, get your passwords and all that kind of stuff. We're not doing that. That's for sure. Very good. Yeah. So that and then also obviously relevant radio. Uh, you can listen to us uh, every Friday or every weeknight at nine o'clock. And that was it. 10 a.m. 10 a.m. on Saturdays. Yeah, I know I should know that, but for some reason I get it mixed up with the nine to ten. Yeah, yeah, on, on relevant radio. So yeah, so those are all the different ways you can listen to the Bishop's Hour and uh, and uh, support us and support the diocese and subscribe and all that kind of stuff. It moves us up to the top of the uh, the algorithm and uh, helps spread our word to other people who also have interest in Catholic shows. So. Very good, very good. Thanks, Gabe. Uh, prepare and enrich, building strong marriages. You're invited to. Uh, marriage preparation coordinators are invited uh, to this workshop Saturday, August 12, right here at the Pastoral Center in downtown Sacramento, 2110 Broadway, 8 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. Uh, to register uh, for this great workshop. Learn the skills you need to joyfully accompany couples as you journey with them through numerous marriage life topics 
and statements. You'll also receive access to the prepared and rich website, customer service, and Catholic manuals to assist your conversations with both engaged and married couples. Contact Moises de Leon. Moises is at 916-733-0133. Again, it's Saturday, August 12th, 2110 Broadway, in person, 8 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. 916-733-0133. M. De Leon, that's D-E-L-E-O-N at scd.org. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening. God bless everyone. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at their thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open Uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrusites. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and long-standing support of the Bishop's Hour. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the Mercy Foundation, enriching lives in the Sacramento region through Sisters of Mercy Ministries in health care, education, housing, and the care for the poor and elderly. For the Mercy Foundation, philanthropy is one of the most powerful expressions of compassion and love. Just as many people in our community need a hand, countless others are reaching out to them with comfort and hope. You can express your care and concern for the less fortunate with a gift to the Mercy Foundation. Uh, You can give them a call, 916-851-2700. That's 916-851-2700. And you can be confident that fully 100% of your contribution will support the Sisters of of Mercy Ministry or ministries that you choose. And what a wonderful treasure Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts has been for all of us here in the diocese as they uh, uh, transition uh, into uh, uh, new ownership and management. Uh, They continue to offer wonderful workshops, wonderful uh, uh, resources for the Catholic community throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. 
Not only does Easter's provide a wide array of Catholic books, both current releases and longtime classics, but they also sponsor a number of valuable workshops and lectures throughout the year. They're, they're located at 6916 Sunrise Boulevard in Citrus Heights. Give them a call, 916-338-7272. We also receive a generous underwriting support by Crumley & Associates, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. If you have questions about retirement, Crumley & Associates can help you with their confident retirement approach that can help define a clear roadmap to get you where you want to go. You can uh, contact them, get all the details at Crumley & Associates, 7956 California Avenue in Fair Oaks. They're at 916-638-4600. That's 916-638-4600. And we uh, are, are certainly uh, appreciative of the uh, fine and uh, longstanding support of the Mercy Foundation, of Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts, and of Crumley & Associates. We'd like to thank all the wonderful people and organizations, uh, businesses in town uh, and throughout the Diocese of Sacramento who have provided underwriting for the Bishop's Hour. Uh, some in the last few years, some uh, have been with us for a very long time. If you would like to be an underwriter for the Bishop's Radio Hour, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to support this mission and also to support the diocese and also uh, to get some uh, recognition for uh, your organization or for your business. The easiest way to do this is to uh, give us a shout, send us an email, radio at scd.org, and we can give you all the details about uh, helping to underwrite the Bishop's Radio Hour. Again, that's radio at scd.org. Empty hands held high Such small sacrifice Joined with my life I sing in vain tonight 